Okay, good morning. Here we are, week 11 of our 17-week journey through the book of Colossians. And I, I feel like I have a, a debt uh, that I need to thank all my uh, brothers who've been preaching over the last uh, 10 weeks, because there's a lot of a lot of uh, groundwork that's been laid that we're going to build off of as we kind of take a transition today and moving into really a more of an application part of the book of Colossians. So we'll be doing just a little bit of review just to, just to make sure we're uh, up to speed on that. But I'm, I'm entitling my talk today called The Gaze of the Soul as we look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, just the first four verses of chapter 3. And I've, I've uh, appropriated the title of this from a, a book by A.W. Tozer that he wrote in 1948 called The Pursuit of God. And I'll be making some references uh, to that as we go through. So let's just quickly review where we're at. Uh, the, the eternal price of, of uh, knowledge is, is review. Right? We have to review because we forget so easy. So as you recall, we started out with just the introduction and prayers that, that Paul offers to the Colossians. And then we quickly moved into this um, the section of, um, of Christ being proclaimed and, and his, the supremacy of Christ being just expounded on in, in ways that we're going to be relying on as we move into this application. And I'll be hitting on that in just a moment. And then through the, the following weeks, we looked at some encouragement to hold firmly to Christ and then a, a warning about false spirituality and the ways that that uh, could, could lead astray. And particularly for the Colossians, uh, just they were dealing with some false teaching that we don't know specifically what it was, but we have some hints there. So then we're going to uh, look at now in this transition, really as we kind of move toward the end of this, instructions about our new life in Christ and, and renewed relationships that it produces in, in the next uh, couple sessions. And then the, finally there will be some closing greetings and, and we will have uh, made our way through Colossians. So <clears throat> um, we want to talk about this this transition of uh, as we move into chapters 3 and 4, that, that are really important, but we have to remember some things from the first two chapters that I just want to hit on some of these highlights, high points, because if you don't have these right, I think you can come up with some mis misunderstandings or misapplications of, of the book. So first off, Christology is, is just the theological heart of Colossians. We saw that in the beginning of chapter 1. It's just Christ in all and through all, and that he is, is the preeminent one in, in creation. So the main takeaway there I'd ask for you to think about is if, if you have any kind of visions in your mind of when you think of Christ, of thinking of, oh, he was a good teacher, or um, he was a, a poor guy, he started out good, he had some good ideas, but then he was martyred. Well, you have to just go back and read chapter 1 again, and you have to disaffuse yourself of any of that kind of sense of who Christ is, because we have to remember that Christ was the preeminent one from the beginning of creation, 
And, and it says in there, we, uh, I think when Frank was talking about that, that in him all things are held together, that just everything we know ab- around and about us, we don't have any idea the depths of that is held together by Christ. So we have to just keep that in mind. That's who we're talking about, not uh, some uh, earthly uh, rendition that we might have come up with. Then what I found so interesting is, is just the, the sense that as we learned about Christ and his magnitude, God could have said, and so we're off at a distance now, and, and good luck, but this is who, who we are, uh, God and, and, and Christ in, in creation. But no, we see very quickly that there's this connection of Christ being the head of the body, the church. So he... He has, again, not just a good advisor, not just a, sort of a friend, but he's the head. And we think about how important the head is to the body. And so everything that that can, can connote, we want to make sure we grasp that, that as we live our lives out as the body of Christ, we have this firm recognition that this Christ, this, this God of creation is connected to us, and we need to really plumb the depths of what that means. In fact, obviously, as a body, we, we only live and grow as connected to the head. There, there's no independence that we somehow uh, are looking for or, or striving to, to reach some higher plane. No, our goal is to just plumb the depths of this connectedness to Christ as the head of the church. But then, uh, in the last few weeks, as we went into chapter 2, we talked to some about this this new life. In verse 6, he just says, just a statement, so walk in Christ. So it's just a, it's, it's just a simple statement, but there's so much behind that that we're going to now start to try to understand what does that mean. But as a, as a way to, as we launch into that, I think about last week when Kendall uh, was, was talking, he, uh, let me see if I've gone too far that um, we saw also in verse, uh, verses 20 and 23 that, that this new life in Christ, as, as we are connected to him that way, it has to mean something. It has to have something different than, than what we might experience just in a, in a, from a human sense. But if you remember at the end of, uh, of Kendall's sermon last week, he talked about how... Uh, that, that I mentioned verse 6 where it says, so walk in him. Just as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. But then Kendall left us with verse 23 that says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. When you think about that, we, he was talking about some of the false teaching that was going on, some of the legalism or this asceticism and some of the, that teaching that was having effect apparently on, on the believers in Colossae. And, and so while there's the warning would be enough, uh, I, I found the, the end of this just so, so stark where it says that, that these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's like, I mean, I felt sorry for Kendall in a way, just like, so that's where we get dropped, right? That's it. That's the end. We're just, it's hopeless, right? There's, there's no, nowhere to go from here. But thankfully, that isn't the end of the story. Well, there's a lot more to explore here. 
But I think I would ask each of you just to, just in your own life, to be to thinking about that. Has that not been your experience? No matter what uh, good intentions or, or ways maybe you have strived to struggle against the flesh, Paul tells us here that these things by themselves are of no value in stopping the indulgences that just come our way. So we have to say, okay, well then where do we go? We don't want to be dropped off here. We want to learn where do we go. So we're going to move into, into chapter 3 here where we're going to see some very specific things. But to start it, I'm going to do a, maybe a bit of a strange thing and take a, just a, a one little, uh, one slide detour into the great in, interpretive book of Hebrews. And you know, I think you'll see why. From Hebrews 12, <clears throat> chapter, uh, chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I think you'll see why I wanted to to start with this because so much of what we want to look at in these first uh, just first four verses of chapter three um, f- just really flesh out this this vision that uh, we, we read about in the book of Hebrews. So looking to Jesus, we want to look to, to Jesus. I'm sorry there. There was the passage 12, one and two. So we want to look at this new life in Christ. What does this look like? So let's read our passage here, just these first four verses of Colossians. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Thank the Lord for his word there. And it's one of these passages that I found so easy to just read over and and to give kind of a mental nod to. But as you start digging into it, you can see so much buried in there that I think becomes eminently practical in, in just the way we live out our lives. So what we want to do now is look at this this heavenly focus. Verses 1 and 2. So we're going to just break this into two pieces, the first two verses and then verses 3 and 4. So if I put up here, this is uh, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2. Set your minds on things above, uh, not on things that are on the earth. So you might notice a little bit subtle there, but a couple of the verses are the words in there are highlighted in white. And so we're going to just dig in this a little bit by taking those pieces of these two verses and expounding a little bit on, on the, uh, the things that are, we're being told in, in these first two verses about this idea of a heavenly focus for our lives. So let's look at those. The first being just this word, if, starting out with, with just that statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. You might compare that to the similar kind of statement in the first uh, verse of Philippians chapter 2 about if, if there's any 
uh, consolation, or depending on the translation, and comfort in, in Christ. And so what does that if mean? Apparently, uh, some of your translations might even use a different word. They might say since, like uh, because of, or we know that that's true. But there's some argument that this translation of just if is better in the sense that it really requires uh, some assent from you, the reader. We have to look at this too and say, is this true? Is this true of me? Can I claim that? Can I say that? that? That my life, that I have been raised with Christ. And we're going to be looking at that, that there's a death and then now this resurrection. So, so that's just a challenge always to think about uh, when, whenever there's this sort of a, a, a transition. Sometimes I think some places even had the word therefore in there which as someone told me many years ago in the scripture, if you ever find a wherefore or a therefore, you better find out what it's there for. Um, that there's some reason those were tied together. And so here we're being challenged to say, um, if that's really truth, then there's got to be implications. There's got to be something to that. And that's what we want to, to dig into. So first we see that, that word seek. So we're told uh, to, to seek the things that are above, where Christ is. So what does that mean, that seek? Well, you could think of different ways, uh, some subtleties that just in the, in, the, in the meaning of that word seek. Does it mean like hide-and-go-seek or uh, somebody um, has hidden a, a, you know, a treasure somewhere, a treasure hunt, and you, you're supposed to go off, and then you find the, the magic prize and, and you've won it. Well, the sense here is really something more ongoing of a sense of, of turning our attention, our focus to something different, to something heavenly, to something where Christ is. And so it's, it's not a, just a one and done sort of thing. Oh, I found it. I'm the winner. But it's a sense of we're turning our focus and our attention uh, to Christ. And so remembering, well, what does that mean? Where is that? Well, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what's important about that? Why did that get that added about you know, where he's seated? Well, traditionally, that's, it's a place of honor to be seated at the right hand. But there's also a sense of this in this translation that it's, a, that it's an accomplished fact. Christ came to, for the purposes he came for, and he, he accomplished those. It's, it's a done deal. He did that, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God. And so as we think about, again, then our focus, our looking to him, it's looking to him in, in this glorified position he's in. And you'll see, I think that has consequences for, again, what does this focus, what does this looking, what does that look like? But then it goes on, the, the, the last part of that in verse 2, talked about setting your minds. And that's, it's interesting because it, it, it gives you a sense of even a more active participation we have. So there's a seek that we will, we want to have, a, a mentality, a focus of, of our attention being focused on Christ. But here it says to set your minds, right? We want to set our minds on these things, which has some sense of, of choice, of uh, deliberation, uh, activity, that we get to also participate in, in some, in some way. And we're going to be looking to see why, why is this? Why why is there some, why didn't God just change us into something just overnight? Instead, he invites us into a process of this, this seeking, 
this gaze upon the Lord and watching him transform us. So we'll, we'll look more at, at, at that, but I wanted to highlight a couple of things here that, uh, that if we look at our, our, in these two verses, there's a past, present, and a future sense to these. Do you see the, those, those different elements of that? There's a, there's a sense of that we have been raised with Christ, so that's, it's past tense. But then there's a admission to seek, which is ongoing. We want to seek. And there's something that we're going to see coming up on that we have a future element to this, where there's, a, there's good purposes at the end of this road. It isn't just a, a sort of an amorphous walk we're off on, but there's a, a reason for this. So this has sometimes been, been uh, given the label of a uh, paradigm called the already and not yet that you see this in scripture in places where there's there's things that are stated they're already these are true facts and they're they're not ambiguous they're they're settled they're done and yet they're not fully fulfilled there's a there's an upcoming there's a fulfillment that we look forward to that uh, we want that we're going to be striving for so in this like i mentioned in this present this intermediate phase that we're at if we have the settled part of, of Christ's work, and then we have this the glory that we're hoping for. We're in this uh, in-between phase. I think C.S. Lewis calls it the shadow lands, where we don't see everything clearly, but we have promises that there's good work that's happening here. This isn't just uh, uh, some sort of a, a time where we're just uh, supposed to just cast about and, and uh, just try to muddle through. But we have promises that there's a transformation taking place in our lives. Passage of 2 Corinthians 3, talking about being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Romans 6, as we went through that. 2 Peter 1, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, talks about, these, talks about these, these things that should, should be in our lives. And it says, and if these things are yours and are increasing in measure, they keep you from being unproductive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why does it say if they're increasing? That has some sense that there's some growth happening there. There's something happening in our lives that we want to, uh, to know about and we want to participate in. And then Galatians 2.20, this is that, that passage where uh, Paul saying that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he finishes that by saying, I live, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So in this intermediate phase, as we are, we are in this trans, transitional, transformational stage of our lives, we are called on to live by faith in the Son of God. So what I like to do here is to pause on this for just a second and look at this question about faith. Okay, what does, does faith mean in this context of living out our lives uh, in this, in this uh, time? So what I want to do is look at this. I'm calling it a faith rabbit trail. Now, if Mark or Parker were up here, they would probably call it an excursus. But I'm neither a theologian nor a son of a theologian, and so I'm going to say I'm going to go on a little rabbit trail here. But I hope you don't take this as any kind of, uh, sometimes you think of that term meaning some sort of a pointless wandering. Uh, this rabbit knows where he's going, not me, but uh, this rabbit we're going to follow here 
has something that I think is, is, is very apropos and uh, you just, in fact, uh, empowering to what we want to put into practice in Colossians 3. So have you ever thought about this? Uh, how does the Bible define faith? If someone were to ask you, what is faith? As a little kid once said, uh, faith is believing something you know isn't true. <clears throat> right? Is that, is that what faith is? Well, it's interesting, though. If you look at, in the Bible, there isn't really a lot of definitional uh, aspect to, to faith. The closest you can probably find is in Hebrews 11, of course, the first verse that talks about uh, assurance and conviction, the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. And and so, yes, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a definition there, but if you think about it, it's really, those, those terms are really more functional than they are philosophical. It really doesn't, can't, doesn't describe faith in some way that we sort of, oh, this is the essence of it, but it's more functional. And then to highlight that, where does the rest of that chapter go? Where does the rest of Hebrews 11 go? Right? It's the long list of the heroes of the faith. And as you go down that list, what it talks about is what they did. The things they did, improbable at times, weird, scary at times, they did because of faith, because of trusting in God. So you start to think, okay, then what, what does faith have to do with living out this life that we're talking about in this transformational faith? So I found this um, from, uh, again, from uh, Tozer in, that, in his book, uh, Pursuit of God, uh, an enlightening little uh, uh, look at this, this vignette from the book of Numbers. So I'm just going to have it up here on the screen so you don't have to turn to it, but we're going to be looking at Numbers uh, 20, 21, verses 4 through 9, about the fiery serpents. So let me just read this, and then we'll uh, discuss a few implications. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that, they, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at it, Look at the bronze serpent and live. Well, I'm sure you've uh, read that before, and it's always been a bit of a, a puzzling passage, and why a serpent, and why, what was that all about? And, and we don't have time to go into all of that today, but I wanted to just draw out what, what is the implication to this life of faith? How does this tie to the, this life of faith? Well, thankfully, we have some help in the interpretation of that passage by none other than our Lord uh, in John chapter 3. So let me read a couple of verses here, 13 through 15 from John chapter 3, about Jesus being lifted up. 
He said, No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you remember the context of this. This is Nicodemus coming and asking about how to be born again and almost sarcastically saying, what's he supposed to do? You know, re-enter his mother's womb. And I don't know if he was really that sarcastic, but but uh, in that context, this is how Jesus answered him, right? At the end of this, referring back to this passage in, in Numbers about uh, the, the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. So what... What's interesting there is what does Jesus say about it? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So it seems to, to me that there is a, a sense where Jesus himself is making a connection to the act of looking and believing. Because we talked in, in, the, in that passage in Numbers, what were they commanded to do if they were bit by a serpent? To look at it, to look at this one that Moses raised up. Look at it. I mean, it didn't say go touch it or a hundred other things. It said to look at it and they would be, they would be healed. And then Jesus appeals to this, right? And he says that he defines this as something about believing. So I don't know all the implications here. And again, we don't have time to totally unpack that because there's lots behind, you know, why was it a serpent and, and our analogies there. But but for today, if we can just look at this connection that our Lord is making between the looking and believing, what does that mean? So I'm robbing this phrase from A.W. Tozer here, but he says, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And that's where I took the title of uh, my talk today, is that, that faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. So this life that Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20, that he lives by faith, somehow seems to be connected to the idea of a gazing upon the Lord and where he is seated. Very interesting. So we're going to have to look, well, what does that mean? But what, why is that that important? Well, wouldn't it be just like God to, to create something like this? This, this gaze upon God, the simplicity of it, who does it apply to? Anyone, anytime, any place, right? There's no tricky formula or special secret knowledge you have to have. This promise that, that this faith that we're called to is exhibited by the simplicity of a gazing upon the Lord. Now, there's a lot that we've got to go to figure out, well, what does that look like tomorrow morning as you go off to work or you're at school? We've got to talk about that. But I wanted to highlight this, this in a, a question to you. Do you think this might speak to the Colossians and this problem with the false teachers? Well, obviously, I think we can see that as there, as they may be being taught or told that, oh, you've got to do these certain things in the form of legalism or We've got this special revelation over here. Let's go over here and, and I can show you some you know, deep new thing. <clears throat> that we're being told here <clears throat> that it's, it's not that. It's a simplicity of looking, of gazing upon the Lord that really is what uh, we're called to do. So 
We've got to move on. So I want to now look at verses 3 and 4 and talk about the fact that we, we look, that, uh, look at these verses and we see there's something that talks about our status both now and then. What is, who are we now today, but what are we then moving toward? So in this, I will again uh, put the verses up here, but then highlight in white a couple of points that I want to discuss. So it says, for, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, that can read so simple, so easy, but there's so much behind this. So those, I want to look at these words, died and then hidden, and then the, the word about appearing. And I think you'll see then again this, this idea that <clears throat> there's an aspect of past, present, and future in what is being told, told to us here. So starting out with died, what, what does that mean? Well, again, it's past tense. It said, you have died. So it's not say you're dying or someday you'll die, but no, we have died. So there's a real sense that we need to grasp the fact that we have died to our earthly selves. And somehow that has to translate into the way we live our lives. So just just have to anchor on that, that, that this is a past confirmed fact, not something that we're just hoping for, but the fact that we have died. But then this word hidden, is it's really interesting because it has a couple of different meanings to it here when it talks about our lives being hidden with Christ in God. There's an aspect of it that talks about that that uh, it's yet to be revealed. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know what this is uh, someday, what our, our new life is going to look like. But we have this promise that that's, what, that's the direction we're going. But the other thing that can be so comforting to us as believers is this, the second aspect of kind of uh, meaning of this word hidden is that it can also indicate that it's kept in safekeeping, that our life is, is kept in Christ. It's not uh, something where we're, we just hope we, we kind of hang out and the last one standing wins, but, but we have this promise that, yes, in Christ, we're dead, we're new creatures, we're heading in a new direction, and there's this promise that he will keep us. Our lives are hidden in Christ. So something that, that we need to, as we come uh, upon days of, of uh, uncertainty or concern or anxiety or fear, whatever it could be, just remembering that, that we don't have to fear that like we would if it wasn't for our lives being kept in Christ. But then the exciting thing is here is that we, there's, a, there's a goal where this is really heading. And, and I'm, we're not going to uh, spend uh, time on these today. We're going to be doing it in the upcoming weeks. But in these two passages, 2 Corinthians 3.18, talking about us being transformed from one degree of glory to another. There's, again, this, this idea that there's a transformation going on, and it's, it's in, a, in a direction of him taking us to be like him from one degree of glory to another. And then in 1 John 3, 2, the ultimate hope and this idea of, <clears throat> of this, this vision of Christ that we want to, to have, that we have this gaze of our soul upon Christ. And in 1 John 3, 2, we'll, we hear about, as Parker preached through this um, some time ago, just that we have the promise that we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. So that when we finally get to that appearing, 
Imagine that. It says we are going to be like him because we will finally see him as he truly is. And what are we seeing him like today? I don't know. And each of you has to ask that question and think about that. But what I'm wanting to put out there today is that it, it is a process and we want to increase our, our, our vision and our clarity of, of what we have our gaze in Christ looking like. Okay, so where do we go from here? What do we do with this, okay? Because I think we, we can talk about, like I said in, in verse 6 of chapter 2, where it just says, so walk in him. I, you know, I just, I'm practical in the sense of, like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? What does that look like, walking in Christ? And so we're getting glimpses of this, and I think I, you can see it start to, to unfold, but we want to really understand this in a way that, that it makes a difference in our lives. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at some more of chapter 3, and and there's there's two you could view them as uh, as kind of lists here, and I, I and they're sometimes referred to as the put-offs and the put-ons. Now, I wanted to just pause and say, I have to make sure everybody translate the translates this correctly or hears this correctly, because you could hear the word "put-off" as in, "Oh, that's such a put-off." I just you know that, or "put-on." Oh, that guy's such a put-on. Right? You can hear it that way. Well, that's not at all what this is talking about. This is talking about the idea of a person. More, you have to think of like clothing, Put, taking off and putting something on. Right? That's what we're going to be looking at. Is that, that Paul is admonishing us to, to in in these lists that we're going to be looking at, to put off things and to put on other things. And so that's good. It starts to get real practical, as, Jim, as Jimmy talked about, that uh, we're going to see, okay, I can identify with that. I can see those things, and I can see that he's telling us to put this off and to put this on. But I'm still left with this question. I don't know if you are. You know, I, I ask this. So is this kind of in the, in the realm of just do it? Uh, like the, what was the Bob Newhart or that... Uh, had there's a little clip of the psychiatrist and the guy comes in and tells him all the things that he's worrying about and he keeps telling, just stop it, just stop it, just don't do it, just stop it. Well, is that is that what we're being told? Just, just don't do that and just do this. And and obviously, coming uh, as as it is from the truth of Scripture, we believe that this is much more. Uh, applicable than someone just saying just do it and so what is this what is this really going to look like so i'm going to ask this question what should be our motivations for following these admonitions from paul so i'm going to give you a tasking here in just a minute to be thinking about over the next week but i want to give you a clue first if we look at these two lists sometimes people have called them the the vice list and the virtue list well is that all is that what it is and, and and is it simply this that we're being told you just you got to know the list and you got to keep the list right you've got to memorize each of these things that to, to stop and and just but you just got to know it memorize it and I've got it memorized better than you and and uh, and so that that's good is that what we're being called to do or is it a matter of of disciplining ourselves until we can keep the list just just 
gutting it out and just saying, you know, God, I'm just going to just just do this and and um, and just charging forward. So, and just so you don't waste a lot of time thinking it's either of those, which I don't think you probably would, but doesn't that first one smack a little of legalism that we that Kendall was just talking about last week? That if it's just us saying, okay, I've done a good job, I've got it memorized, and I know it better than you, isn't that legalism? And if you just sort of, uh, I'm just going to gut it out and just discipline myself until I can, I can do this, what does that sound like? Could that be a little asceticism creeping in here? So, I mean, it's, it's a big word, right, as we talked about asceticism, and no one probably would sign up for that and say that's what they are. But, but I think you could see that this is how it could play out in our lives. And so it's got to be more than that, because what did we read in verse 23 there? They are of no use in restraining the, our hearts and, and, and the direction we go. They're of no use. And so we've got to go deeper and to figure out, okay, what, what does this really look like? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Next week, we're going to look at, so July 31st, we're going to look at the put-offs in verses uh, 5 through 11 of chapter 3. So you might get a jump start and, and, and read through that, but I'm going to ask that you do this. In your small groups or with others that you may have connection with, I'd like to, to explore what should our desires and motivations be for heeding Paul's admonitions. If it isn't the legalism or the asceticism, something that we, we would take pride in, what should our motivations be? What should, if we could really truly look inside ourselves, what would that really look like? So if you can wrestle with that a little bit uh, in, your, in, in your community that you have uh, with other believers and, and talk about what that might look like. I, I think it will be helpful as we start to try to flesh this out to look at what is this really going to look like. Because then the next week, August 7th, we're going to look at the put-ons, the things that we're encouraged to put on in Christ. And that's going to be in verses uh, 12 through 17. But we're going to be looking there at how do we actually put this into practice? What does it really, really look like on a day-to-day basis to say that we're living our lives by faith, we're, we're practicing this, uh, we, we can see this gaze of our soul looking toward Christ in, in the heavenlies with this hope for where he's taking us, for what the future like looks like or will be like. What is that really going to look like? And then secondly, in, as part of that, if we, if we get some insights in that, I want to also then look at how do you know if you're making progress? We have these, all these verses that talk about the transformational, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Uh, like I said in Second Peter about um, these things increasing. If they're increasing, they keep us from being uh, unfruitful or unproductive. It's a little bit like a, a journey to, if you're going to set out to drive to New York City, it's a long ways away. And so you'd like to have a map, right? We want to have a map that shows us where we're going. But at the same time, you'd like to see... As you take off on the journey, you'd like to see some signposts, some things that, that give you an idea. Yeah, you're on the right track. New York's still coming. It may be a long way off, but it's still coming. And we want to look, are there ways we can look at that in our lives to say, 
God is up to good things in our lives. He's transforming us. He's renewing us. He's, he's rebuilding us. And we can look and see and give him thanks that he really truly is doing this transform, transformational work in us. So if you can be thinking about those things um, over the, the next couple of weeks, it'll, I think it will help and, and bring this to life even more that when we talk about something just like looking or gazing, which sounds, can sound so passive, that there's, there's really an aspect of this that we're called on to participate in. We're allowed to. God, for some strange reason, has allowed us to participate in this transformational work that he is working out in, in our lives. So we want to, uh, to really get a hold of that as, as we then uh, continue and finish up the book in this very practical nature of, of how do we uh, live our lives and not become fall victim to false teachings that might claim uh, something otherwise. So we're going to close now, and then we're going to sing a song, and then I, I'm going to finish up with a, a prayer that uh, I'd like to offer just... Uh, in, in this sense of us um, wanting our focus and our gaze to be on Christ. Nothing else, nothing less, but our, our gaze to be on Christ. So uh, would you pray with me as we close? Oh, Father, we give you thanks for your, your goodness, for your, uh, the preeminence we see of Christ and all that he has done for us. I just pray you would give us a just a glimpse, an ever-increasing and ever-more-clear glimpse of Christ and, and who he is. And, and, Lord, please take our, our attentions and our desires and our hopes and focus them uh, on you and this, this certain fact of, of uh, you transforming us ultimately to be uh, like you when we see you in heaven. So, Lord, we give you uh, <clears throat> this day. Pray we would go with hearts that would be expectant and thankful for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.